0: And so we begin the purgatory and what a lovely opening canto one is. Immediately, we're in a very different atmosphere from hell. The colours are blues and greens. There's the talk of soft winds and soft soils. Um, We're back in a living environment. And as if to emphasise that, Dante opens the canto by saying, and now the little bark, the little boat of his poetry, will raise a sail to venture across fresh waters. I think this is um, a direct allusion back to the frozen waters and the, the deadly wind um, that Satan's sails, um, his wings, had been Um, flowing, causing to flow around the hellish regions they've just left behind. You know, now Dante is going to put the sails of living poetry um, up to catch the spirit once more, the spirit that will um, take him in this next period of his journey across these new living waters. He also invokes the muse Calliope, the greatest of the nine muses. She's called upon not only because she gathers together all that the muses can invoke and make conscious in us, but because there was the story that Dante alludes to about a king of Macedonia, Pyrrhus, who named his nine daughters after the nine muses and then challenged the muses to a competition of course they failed and dante calls them magpies here the bird that steals others jewels and he wants to know these glories for himself and to have the muses communicate them to him directly he also tells us right at the beginning of the canto that this new canticle is going to be about the purging of people's souls readying them for paradise and That word word "purging" is just worth reflecting upon because I think it can carry the wrong connotations. Now, Um, it can carry sort of moral connotations, as if something has got to be got rid of, um, something has got to be expelled, expunged, um, and uh, you know, the Puritans for us were people who it seemed lived a narrower life rather than a more expansive life because they were more concerned about what they should avoid than what they should embrace. And I think we need to understand this purging in a different way. Um, What it is about getting rid of, I think, are the barriers to embracing a wider life. Um, In hell, we'd seen how people's state of mind trapped them in the different rounds. And what, the purgatory is going to be about is how that which traps is released in order that more of life can be embraced. Um, I'm informed partly here by insights from psychotherapy and one of the things which you look out for in psychotherapy are the things that prevent people from stepping into a a more free, wider life. Um, They're sometimes called reversals Um, And they're the things that hold people back and they are immensely powerful unless they're named. You know, someone might actually be too angry to let go of their past. Someone might be too fearful that they'll lose some sense of themselves if they let go of their past. Someone else might feel that it's not safe to step into a new future. Someone else might be too bound down by jealousy. To enable, you know, to enable them to move into a different possibility. Um, so purgatory is about releasing us from these things that hold us back, not from avoiding things. And when we come across discussions of virtues, um, that's what I'm going to try and um, see them as virtues of quality that are actually expansive of our souls. When we've been freed from the vices which are actually things that um, constrain our souls, that compress our hearts, um, and that, as it were, would keep us in more infernal regions. I think this opening canto also signals something important about the mystical geography, the kind of psychological, physical space that Dante is now moving in. You will remember that um, the mountain of purgatory had been pushed up when Lucifer fell towards the earth and the living matter of the earth ran before him to avoid his emptiness, creating the pathway back to God even as Lucifer fell. Well, we're now given a description of the beautiful morning that Dante and Virgil find themselves in as they've come up from the depths of hell. Um, It's actually Easter morning, 1300, It's about an hour before dawn, and it's very beautifully described. Um, The sun is said to be just allowing her rosy fingers um, to reach towards the horizon, lighting up the night sky. And we're told that Venus is shining beautifully and brightly above the horizon, making the dawn smile. Um, And it's a brilliant image, because if you've ever captured or experienced that hour before dawn, and Venus, the morning star, is there. Um, It does create a tremendous sense of potential and possibility um, and the brightness um, of uh, what can emerge um, with the new day. Um, Venus is also said to be um, lighting up um, the constellation Pisces, the fish, um, which is perhaps an allusion to um, the Christian uh, wellspring, that Dante is going to draw on here. The heavens are invoked because they're now our destination and are always going to be in view, no matter how difficult the steps that Dante has to make. They're always overhead, available to be seen, um, and so that is signalled very strongly here. Um, we've got the Neoplatonic interpretation of that too. Um, you'll remember that in the Neoplatonic schema. Evil is not the opposite of good, it's the absence of good. And hence, Lucifer had been frozen in a state of almost non-being down in the depths of hell. Well, now we've immediately got the material world sparkling and reflecting and showing forth the glory of God, even at the base of the mountain of purgatory. That is clear. And it's an invitation for us um, on earth um, And purgatory feels quite earthly. It's quite a familiar world, often. Um, An invitation that we can always look up, we can always turn to the stars at night or the sun during the day or know of their presence. Um, In a way, that is the most tangible guide uh, that Dante suggests we draw on. Um, And as William Blake emphasised, we don't just see the stars, but we see what the stars transmit. And we see them as symbols carrying divine light, divine glory. And learning that ability is going to be a key task for Dante further down the line. There's a little signal too that we're in a psycho-spiritual-physical space, a kind of imaginal zone, um, an intermediate dwelling, I'm not just straightforwardly I'm literally supposed to be imagining Dante to be in a part of the earth. Because... In 1300 Venus wasn't actually a morning star at Easter but was an evening star. It would have followed the sun setting rather than led the sun rising and I think Dante would have known this. Um, He's clearly very observant about the heavens Um, and I think that by putting Venus as the morning star now he's signalling that things are not just as they might seem, that we need to move beyond literal interpretations and start to develop our spiritual sight. Um, You might say it's truer, according to spiritual eyes, for Venus to be a morning star as he arrives in purgatory, with all that means, than for Venus to be an evening star. And so he's gently asking us to let go, to purge our literal assumptions, even from the beginning of Canto 1. Another lovely detail in this pre-dawn sky that he sees are the four stars of the Southern Hemisphere, but again given a spiritual meaning here, because they represent the four virtues, which Dante says Adam, the first human being, knew in his very soul when he was first created before the fall, Dante remarks that those four virtues, um, justice, prudence, wisdom, and courage, um, we haven't known them uh, sort of implicitly in our souls um, as spontaneous guides back to the stars from whence they came. Um, That hasn't happened for human beings since the fall, although figures like, for example, Aristotle, have rediscovered those virtues and discussed them at great length, and so given indications as to how these qualities can lead us to, as Aristotle puts it in fact, to the immortal within us. Well, the implication is that Dante is now getting a foretaste of how that original seamless desire um, that the virtues instilled in Adam is now going to be restored to him. Again, it's another key part of the journey that's about to happen. And what a mix of a familiar but strange journey it's going to be is signalled by what happens next. Because quite surprisingly, a figure appears quite suddenly, and it's the figure of Cato. Cato, the Roman Stoic. Um, who's best remembered for the suicide that he committed when he was um, going to be captured by Caesar after the death of Pompey during the Roman Civil Wars. And here he is, and he's presented as the very embodiment of purgatory. Um, It's said that he's an ancient man, he carries a natural kind of wisdom and authority, and he has a long beard that's streaked with white Um, That's divided across his shoulders. Um, It's said that the four stars, the four virtues, shine in his face as if he and the stars are one. He could completely understand what this place and what it can achieve is about. Um, It's even said that the sun, even though it hasn't yet risen above the horizon, was somehow captured in his face as well. The sun that represents... Um, The Christ that has yet to dawn, but is going to be a key part of what emerges for Dante as he rises up Mount Purgatory. So this is really surprising that this pagan figure, you know, moreover who committed suicide, um, is seen right at the beginning of Purgatory as a symbol um, embodying all that this next part of the journey stands for. And it makes you wonder why. Well I think as I've already said that it immediately sets up this um, sense of don't just look for what you might expect to see but be prepared for the unexpected because whilst it can be unsettling and confusing um, it's that which makes for transformation. Um, You know if the purgatory just revealed everything you knew already um, then uh, what change would it bring about but that almost at every step expect the unexpected, and that is to be led down the tropological path, down the path of change, um, which makes um, the human soul capable of seeing God, enjoying God once again. Um, there's, there's deeper allusions too. Um, it's worth reflecting on what stoic suicide meant, um, because I think it's different from how people use um, the notion of suicide now. Um, stoic suicide Um, actually meant that the individual felt themselves to be so aligned to a deeper life, um, which they called the Logos, um, this deeper pulse or tendency um, towards the good that the Stoic sage realised, moved through all things. Well, the Stoic sage who committed suicide um, felt that their earthly life, if you like, their mortal life... um, was um, worth sacrificing to stay aligned with this deeper life. So, in Cato's case, he decides to commit suicide rather than be caught by Caesar, because he knew that if he was imprisoned by Caesar, he wouldn't be able to so freely keep his life aligned with the Logos. And so he made the decision to give up his mortal life in order to be free to keep um, in sync with this benign cosmic divinity Um, in some ways then cato it might be said and as some commentators have uh, suggested as well cato is here too because he reflects something of the christ like he's reflecting the sun um, the christ though who gave up his life in order to stay aligned with divine life um, you know, when Jesus stands before Pilate, Pilate says to him, you know, why don't you call down angels? Um, and Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Um, Cato, like Jesus, um, had realised that their life, um, the the domain in which they could um, live fully and freely, um, is actually implicitly in this world, but not explicitly. And so, The spiritual eyes um, the intuitive sight of the mind um, could so clearly see that in Cato's case um, that he could freely give up his mortal life to remain attuned with immortal things. Again, it's a kind of deeper intimation of the wisdom that we're going to have to try to take into ourselves to align ourselves with as we ascend Mount Purgatory. That said, it's also signalled that Cato embodies the spirit of purgatory because whilst he's capable of reflecting the divine light, he doesn't fully understand it. Um, he hasn't become fully conscious of it, you know, as you might expect, at the bottom of Mount Purgatory. And that's shown up because when Cato sees Virgil and Dante, he himself is quite shocked. Um, he has seen them emerge. Uh, from hell. Um, he's seen them come out by the side of the river um, that, as you remember, had trickled all the way down to the center of hell and so provided a pathway out of hell for Dante and Virgil. And he can't understand this. He says to them, you know, has God's logos, has God's principle, have God's principles, um, God's laws um, uh, been changed? Um, that he doesn't in a way that he doesn't understand or know. Um And Virgil steps in at this point and addresses Cato um, and says to Dante, um, you know, we must uh, bend our will to um, the will of this figure. Um, And they they kneel down and bow before him. Virgil begins quite a long speech addressed to Cato. And remember, this is now new territory for Virgil. He hasn't been here before. Um, He's got enough wisdom about him to realise that this venerable figure who somehow embodies the spirit of the place, um, they need um, to have on sides, they need his guidance. Um, And Virgil seeks to gain it um, in a slightly hellish way, you might say. Um, He explains to Cato um, that they're here um, because Dante has the blessing of the heavenly lady, of Beatrice, Um, he's a living soul, he's travelling this journey by divine consent. He asks for Cato's welcome and does so by saying that he too has been freed from the bondage of hell, which is a really interesting thing for him to say. I think he's sort of saying more than he even knows at that point. Um, he's saying sort of literally in the moment he has been given divine sanction to travel with Dante and hence being here in purgatory. Um, but I just wonder whether this is Virgil prophesying something about himself um, without even knowing what he's saying, that he will in fact be free from hell one day. You'll know if you've been following my discussion that I'm tracking these moments where this journey is as much about Virgil's transformation as it is about Dante's. Um, But Virgil is still transforming because he then uses flattery to try to gain Cato's blessing. Um, He says that when he was in limbo, he knew Cato's wife, Marcia. And he says, by the love that you knew for her, um, give us your welcome now. Now Cato immediately sees through it. He is being in purgatory for some time. Beginning to learn that there's other ways than infernal ways which Dante, which Virgil uh, must begin um, to learn, well, and Dante too, for that matter. And he says, um, I will give you my blessing by the new law. Now, I think this is an intimation of the new law of love, the new law of the Logos, which the old Stoics didn't fully understand. You know, they felt that the Logos was this kind of divine and benign imperative that ran through all things that you had to align yourself with um, to avoid the suffering that otherwise kicking against its necessity um, involves. But the new Logos is a person um, has become incarnate and is free, um, not ruled by necessity, and for whom love matters even more than what's good. Um, Love that can Change all things, that can forgive all things, that can make the world anew, um, isn't just bound, say, by justice, um, but can move towards another in friendship. And Cato says that he realizes there's a new law, this new law of love, and that's why he'll let Virgil and Dante proceed through purgatory. Um, But again, there's a sense he doesn't fully understand it himself, he just knows that it's happened. So that's why he's an embodiment of this place. He tells Virgil and Dante what to, go, what to do next. Um, they must move to the lowest part of purgatory. Um, it's the part by the sea. Now, in a moral interpretation, that's to say they must instantiate humility, and, as it were, Make themselves humble. Um, But uh, again, for this business of transformation and capacities, I think that the reason why humility is so significant um, is because, a bit like the sea, the sea is at the lowest place because then everything can flow into it. Um, It can embrace everything, it can take everything into itself. And that is very much what this experience is about for Dante. He needs to see all things to be able to accommodate all things within himself because, of course, that's what God can do. This is divine humility that can accept all things and Dante must learn that himself, signalled now by Cato telling them to go to the seashore. There, he says, they will find reeds and Dante must pluck a reed and make it a belt out of it for himself. Then finally he tells them that they must follow the sun to begin their journey towards Mount Purgatory proper. And then he disappears. He's delivered his wisdom, what he has to tell them. So Dante and Virgil turn back towards the sun. It says that they stand up again, they've been kneeling all this time. Um, And sort of slowly, um, not exactly sadly, but um, with a certain degree of melancholy. um, They're they're depicted as two lonely figures once again, um, making their way towards the seashore. Um, Again, you know, purgatory has got its delights, it's got its joys, but it's also got its sadness and it's got its struggle. um, And that mix of this intermediate space um, is uh, clearly portrayed now. Um, But without further um, impediment they do get to the seashore they see the reeds and as virgil plucks a reed to give to dante um, a little miracle occurs because immediately a new reed springs up into its place Um, you know purgatory is the place where miracles are seen and observed Um, you know it's more difficult here on earth um, but it signs it's a sign, I think, of, of the refreshment, of the newness of life that, as it were, can't be kept down anymore. Um, and there's also a rather beautiful scene at this moment with Dante um, letting his face be washed by Virgil. Cato had said that all the grime of hell must, must be removed from Dante's face so that he can see unimpeded the vision um, that this new place must show him. And so, Virgil now gently washes Dante's face in a lovely touch um, of love um, and friendship between the two of them. And so we're launched into purgatory. There's actually another shipping allusion at the end of the canto, um, like the one with which it had begun. It recalls Ulysses, who Dante had met in hell. Um, Ulysses who had um, travelled across the sea and actually had reached Mount Purgatory himself, um, but... Um, hadn't been ready to ascend purgatory, and so the sea had sucked him up and taken him down to hell. Um, well, Dante is ready now. Um, he's unlike Ulysses, um, he's learnt the lessons of hell. Um, he's become more conscious um, of what this journey is about. And in particular, in direct contrast to the beginning of the inferno which as you'll remember sees dante walking lost through a woods um, full of fear um, now we see dante um, ready um, he c- is capable of seeing and being guided by beautiful things um, there's a profound sense of what is not yet known and i think that is important too, because part of Dante's spiritual genius is that he's able to show us how purgatory and indeed paradise are quite as tremendous and revelatory um, as hell has been. So we're launched on a journey of fresh discoveries um, which might work in our souls even now to enable us to be capable of the vision that Dante is now wholeheartedly pursuing